You're listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. For 30 years, the Forum on Workplace Inclusion has served as a convening hub for those seeking to grow their leadership and effectiveness in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion by engaging people, advancing ideas, and igniting change. Registration is now open for our 31st annual conference called Bridging the Gap on April 16th, 17th, and 18th, 2019, located in downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota. Register by March 1st to take advantage of early bird rates. Discounts up to $140 off are available for individual conference packages and up to $190 off our group rates. Even more discounts are available. Ask about our team meeting packages, government discounts, and small business nonprofit discounts. Some discounts are up to 40% off. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion Annual Conference is the largest workplace diversity, equity, and inclusion conference in the U.S. and one of the largest in the world. Register today or visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org for more information. This is Episode 8 of the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. This podcast is a replay of our January 24th webinar titled Third Wave, the Future of Work, Engagement, Well-Being, and Inclusion, presented by Devin Hughes and hosted by Forum on Workplace Inclusion event coordinator Ben Rue. You can find webinar presentation slides and a full video replay at forumworkplaceinclusion.org. Just search Third Wave. That's T-H-I-R-D Wave. The research is clear. Positive and inclusive environments are performance enhancers. They are characterized by higher productivity, less turnover, and more resilient cultures. Organizations with happy employees outperform the competition by as much as 202%. Happy and engaged employees are committed and passionate about the work they do, resulting in higher performance and lower turnover rates. In this episode, listeners can expect to review the prevalence and cost of poor employee well-being and unhealthy culture, understand how positive psychology and social-emotional intelligence impacts employee performance and organizational health, and learn key strategies to improve communication and trust throughout your organization. Before we get the episode started, we'd like to thank our webinar sponsor, Aon, for making this opportunity possible. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy episode eight of the Forum Podcast, Third Wave, The Future of Work, Engagement, Well-Being, and Inclusion, presented by Devin Hughes. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's webinar. I'm Ben Rue, Program Coordinator here at the Forum. I'm pleased to, ha- to welcome you to um, today's webinar, Third Wave, the Future of Work Engagement, Well-Being, and Inclusion with presenter Devin C. Hughes um, of Devin C. Hughes Consulting. This is the first webinar in the 2019 Forum on Workplace Inclusion webinar series sponsored by Aon. Today's webinar is, is SHRM and HRCI eligible? The activities IDs will be provided at the end of the webinar. Visit our um, website, um, forumonworkplaceinclusion.org or Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn for more information. So let's go. So we're going to jump right into it, folks. A little bit about me. I'm not going to spend that much time. I, I, I've been, the last 10 years, I've spent studying the link between inclusion, engagement, and performance in a work context. I've written a few books. I've lectured in more than 15 countries on this subject. Uh, I currently live in San Diego, California with my beautiful wife, four children, and my two rescue dogs. Let's get started here. There's five beliefs that, that make workplace inclusion efforts less talk and more walk. 
I'm going to unpack these today during the webinar, and we'll talk a little bit more about it as I begin. First, belonging. Each person must feel like they can bring their authentic best self to work. I think the diversity inclusion topic in a work context needs a makeover. Too often it feels like it's to you, it should feel like it's for you. We'll talk a little bit more about that. People have to feel a sense of belonging, a connection to an organization, a group of people that makes you feel like you can be your authentic self. It's a psychological need. Hiring must not only boost the numbers, all right, but, hire, you know, but, but that in and of itself does not automatically create an inclusive culture. Too often leaders focus in this conversation on the pipeline. But I would argue that the experience continues far beyond the offer letter. To retain and nurture top talent, we gotta take an honest look at the end-to-end -end employee experience. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we move uh, farther along. Inclusion is an ongoing practice. It is not a training event. It's not enough to teach employees what it means to be inclusive. Like any form of behavior change, inclusion is a process of identifying those key moments when we can build new habits or micro behaviors to make it easier for people to feel their authentic selves, but, all, but also to create an inclusive environment. Diversity inclusion should be designed to maximize joy and connection and minimize fear. It is joyful to, when you feel included, it's to feel connected, to belong, and we should do our best and we'll talk about ways that you can minimize the fear to have more of these conversations. Average and fit, which we hear quite often in this context, are notions of the past. Systems of the future will focus on helping in individuals thrive. The norms, power structures, and inequities in society can certainly often embedded in organizations when we hire, train, reward people, but we can create a culture where every individual can contribute their full potential. So, that aside, some ways to participate today. Hopefully you don't feel like a prisoner, right? You could certainly be a tourist, which I wouldn't highly encourage, but what I would is over the next 40 minutes, I would highly encourage you to partner with me as we go through this webinar. But full disclosure, folks, I'm no guru. I'm not that guy. I'm not a child prodigy. But this is my era. Just to give you a little context, generationally, this was my first smartphone. That was a good meal in my house. This is how I used to listen to music. That just gives you a little bit of my era. So, question for you. Enough about me. Quick poll question. Do you see inclusion as being a key component of your organizational strategy right now? Is that a yes or a no? It seems to be overwhelmingly yes. So you absolutely see. All right, so here are the results. 84% say yes, 16% no. All right, so that's you, all right? So let's, how about your leadership team? And let's be honest and candid. Does your leadership team, the senior leadership team in the organization you work for see inclusion as a key component of your organizational strategy right now? So, sounds like both in those cases. 
which is a good thing for a variety of reasons, and we'll talk about that here as we move on. Now, too often in organizations that I work in, individually we get it, organizationally we don't. Right? I think right now, contextually, a lot of individuals tend to get the diversity piece right, whether it be you know whether it be religion, gender, etc. We're going to spend a lot of time here on today's webinar on the inclusion piece. Because that tends to be where people fall down. Gallup data, currently 87% of the planet right now is either not engaged or actively not engaged at work. Now, some may argue the numbers, but this is globally 142 countries if you look at the data. Gallup estimates in the U.S. alone, it's a 450 to $550 billion a year issue. That's in lost productivity. Now, folks, I would argue right now we're in the age of the zombie apocalypse. Since the 2000 uh, presidential election, Again, one in four employees have experienced diminished productivity and more stress. 87% of employees are distracted reading political social media posts during the day. Nearly 50% of employees saw a political conversation turn into an argument. 24% of tech workers have felt discriminated against at the current companies. Again, these 50% of those workers said they don't know what their actions or companies doing to address the issue. So, just a little context here pulling the thread, continue pulling the thread through. Right now, we have a loneliness epidemic here in America right now. Our former Surgeon General, Vic Murthy, roughly 40 to 50% of Americans right now at certain points are claiming to be lonely. We don't have a work brain and a home brain. We have one brain, right? Folks, most people would rather read a, a text or email or post on social media than have a conversation. It's so dramatic, and I found this profound. In Japan, for example, people are for a sense of connection and belonging that you literally have the opportunity to hire fake friends and family. This is globally the epidemic that we're in. Relatively new research. You hear fake news, no news. How about negative news? In the last couple of years at a University of Pennsylvania, I'm watching a mere three minutes of negative news in the morning had a whopping 27% greater likelihood of reporting their day as unhappy six to eight hours later. I think we could all agree that most of the news right now, whatever channel or venue get it, is predominantly negative. Folks, we live in the golden age right now of employee disengagement. Whether it's fake news, negative news, loneliness, just again, people are coming to work not feeling in a great emotional place. Now, I ask you, with that broader context, and the data's pretty convincing, why is it so difficult to remain happy at work in the new normal. If you would, put your answers in the chat box for me. So changing objectives, overwork, work-life balance, silos, stress at work, clicks, the overall climate, don't wanna be vulnerable, no connection, micromanagement, people know better, don't do better. All of the above. All right, so I think we get it. So again, we've all worked in an organization where people tend just not to feel in a great emotional place. Now, found this fascinating. 2000 survey from the John Templeton Foundation, 2000 Americans found that people are less likely to feel gratitude about work than anything else. In fact, they ranked their jobs as dead last when asked to list the things they were grateful for. Think about that for a second. We spend more time at work 
than some of us spend at home, but indeed we found work the thing that we're least grateful for. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity to change the script, so to speak, a little practice. What are you grateful for at work right now? Again, there's no right, wrong, there's just, I'd be curious, what are you grateful for at work right now and share it in the chat box? When you think about gratitude at work, what comes to mind? So I see boss, flexibility, supportive managers, autonomy, our team, the job that I enjoy, the people that I work with, talented staff, opportunity to make an impact, benefits, opportunities, flexibility, creative environment. Yeah. All right, so the challenge is we get it in intellectually, but we don't often have an opportunity to do it. So we're gonna talk about that today in the context of how you could indeed make gratitude and expected work practice. All right, so he said, I'm gonna move pretty quickly. Deloitte, some of us have seen the engagement and culture currently the number one challenge around the world. 87% of respondents believe the issue is important, right? Again, recruitment, retention, mergers, acquisitions, we get it. So is this even possible, I asked, to love your job? Think about it. Is it truly possible to love your job? I wondered the same question. But you know, as I stand here right now on this webinar, there's only one culture on the planet that I know of that actually has a word that says, I love my job, that there is joy at work. The only culture that I could found are the Nordic countries. They have a word, it's called abusgud that you could literally love your job, that life is too short not to love what you do. I can't find another culture on the planet right now that has a word that says it. So I would surmise that if we don't have a word for it, most of us have grown up in a world where we don't even think loving our jobs is possible. If you don't believe me, have you ever seen someone about to retire? It looks like a rendition of Shawshank Redemption, like Morgan Freeman, counting the days on a chalkboard, waiting as they're waving at the warden as they walk out the room. I don't even believe that we think joy at work is even possible. Now, so I'm gonna give you a little test. You probably haven't got the email yet from your boss, but I wanna introduce you to your new team. Based on your performance in 2008, this is your team. So if you inherited this team right now in the new normal, what would you do first and what do you see? I'll give you 45 seconds right now in the chat box. What would you do if this is the team you inherited right now? that's essentially what we have right now at work. So I take the weapons out of their hands. That's probably a good thing. I'd move some frogs around. Okay. I'd, I'd move some of the orange back in the middle. Yeah. All right. Give you a few more seconds. Got it. So I ask as you fill this out. Do we hire folks in the back of the boat with these type of behaviors? I would hope not, right? Where do they come from? How do people tend to be destructive at work? I would argue based on my work and my research that typically when we hire people, for the most part, people come in at the front of the boat, the canoe in this case. They're excited, they're engaged. But then what happens at work after a while when you keep raising your hand and ideas never get implemented, right? When you're in a meeting and you're trying to get your point across and someone hijacks the idea, 
or you're an introvert, but the culture there supports extroverts. See, what we find is the culture tends to self-segregate people. And I would argue that the folks in the back too often want to do good work, but oftentimes no one's listening. So we'll talk about how we create a culture to empower people, again, to bring their best selves to work. Part of it is this, especially in the U.S., we have this myth, this kind of urban legend that you do great work, you'll have big success, and then you'll be happy. Again, you do great work, you have big success, and then you'll be happy. It's, it's pervasive in our educational system. You, you have this inherent pressure to get really good grades, high SAT scores. Why? To go to a good school. And when you go to a good, when you're in your, your good university or college, there's an inherent pressure to do really well and then to get internships. Why? To get a good job. And there's always this what's next, even though the research clearly shows that the brain works the other way, it works the other way. But you have to feel good first, then you will do great work and success will follow. If you don't believe me or you're a little bit skeptical, how many people do we have to read about in Hollywood that have everything? but are miserable because again, they think that success will bring joy or happiness, but it doesn't. Part of it is this thing we call destination addiction. We have this preoccupation and this idea that happiness is in the next place, the next job, the next partner. And until we give up that idea that happiness is somewhere else, it never will be where you are. And this is pervasive in cultures and organizationals and teams in the way we reward people. So I asked, how would work be different? If people were truly making well-being and inclusion a priority at work, how would it show up? How would you know that it exists? I'm curious. If you would type some responses in the chat box for me. Ben, do you mind sharing out some of those in the chat window for me? Uh, let's see. Misunderstandings would be resolved without being a big deal. Future, fewer employee relations issues, low absenteeism, less comparing, more contri contri contributions, um, the positivity and engagement, engaged employees, that's, that's all it said, new ideas instead of same old things, implementing ideas rather than dismissing them or implementing them under someone else's name, high engagement, exclamation point, um, product slash service design decisions would significantly improve, more engaged employees, uh, people would be more engaged in and interested in what they're working on. Looks like more engagement overall is the, a theme, running theme. Employees would be intentional, active listening, hence more collaboration and support. Uh, we would see good dialogues. Okay. Psychological safety, free to express ideas, knowing they will be heard with openness. That's a different one and very true. Um, everyone would support each other and work together to fix holes in the boat. So, all right. So let's, let's I think intellectually we get it. Now let's figure out how we would actually do that. So uh, in recent research, again, the benefits of what we just talked about. Every outcome we can measure based on science goes up when people feel better. They live longer, they're more productive, they're engaged, I get it, right? So we get that intellectually. Now, everything I'm gonna talk about going forward is based on the tenets of positive psychology. In the last 25 years, we figured out and studied, studied what's wrong with people. What if we could actually embed positive psychology in the workplace? Actually, how people flourish. Now, my definition is akin to the Greek definition. The Greeks thought 
pure joy or happiness was the joy we feel striving to reach our potential. Not the hedonistic definition that we have, especially here in the U.S. Didn't matter stuff or money or things. Again, maximizing all of our gifts, reaching our potential. So when I talk happiness, when I talk well-being, I'm talking about flourishing. And how do we do that? Now, based on the research, it's pretty clear. Based on Barbara Fredrickson's research, if we can elicit more positive emotions more often in our relationships at work specifically, people feel better. Now, see, too often when we think happiness at work, we think just joy. Now, joy is a great emotion at work sometimes, but not every day is joyful. Some days we need to pull on the hope thread, interest, amusement, pride, pride in what we do, pride in the impact we make, pride in our team, pride in what we built. And what we find, if we can elicit these emotions more, emotions more often intentionally, people will not only feel better, they will perform better individually and collectively. You see, inclusion at work is not always perks and parties. Too often, the leadership playbook has not changed in the last 50 years. Again, I mock here with the skinny jean example, but how many more gene days do we have to have to make people feel better? Or Uber rides, or Costco pizza, or whatever it is. You see, too often we think well-being and happiness and joy and inclusion has to be something that's social. And indeed, that is okay, but what I find and what we find with the research is every day can't be gene day or Costco pizza day. And so certainly everyone doesn't get lit up about work the same way. So if we want to make it authentic and intentional, we have to, again, nuance the nature of the work. So what do we do? We use the power of ritual. Now, rituals are really powerful. They've been around in the religious tradition for hundreds of years. But how does it relate to what we do at work? So I'll give you an example. Productivity, for example. Are you on a team in an organization where you struggle with productivity? I imagine some of us have been in those particular instance situations or collaboration or feedback where you don't have a feedback culture and it's awkward and inauthentic to give feedback or even well-being. You want to make well-being an expected work practice. So what might we do? So I'm going to walk you through how you would nuance a workplace to actually embed rituals into the work to make an inclusion and joy and happiness and expected work practice. So we have to be intentional. What are we trying to, what are we trying to do? What ritual could we create or nuance? And what would the impact be? So here's an example, productivity. The intention was to give employees more autonomy to maximize their individual and team output. So I've got a client right now. This is again, real world. He came up with no meeting Mondays. Why? Because that was going to be a day on their team where they actually got real work done. Now, the rest of the week, the other four days, they had to figure out in lieu of those meetings Monday, how they're going to have the work around. But they created a ritual to have no meeting Mondays. The impact? Employees began to believe in their ethos and learn and stretch and grow and, and believe that they could not only implement ideas, but they also felt better at the end of the day on Mondays, which is traditionally not a, a great day for most people. And they walked out feeling a little bit more productive. All right, collaboration. How could we make it easier for people to engage and share ideas? Got another client. He's got no email Wednesday. Yeah, look, kind of provocative. What does no email Wednesday look like? On his team on Wednesday, you either have to go see a person on the team, if they are in the building, on the floor, 
or you have to pick up the phone and talk to him or her. But there's no email on that team on Wednesdays. So that's one day every week, we have 150 to 60 less emails. That's one day a week, we have 10 to 15 less reply to alls with the answer, hi, thanks. And the impact is that some authentic relationships started to develop between certain people because again, they were starting to have conversations where everything was relying on just email. Now these are just nuances. How about feedback? Make it easier for people to give and receive. They wanted to create a feedback culture. So they created Feedback Fridays. Yes, Feedback Fridays. What is that? They blocked out two to three hours every Friday for a leader and people to get off site, coffee shop, park, whatever, and to have organic, authentic conversations about professional development, whatever's on their mind. In other words, they're creating space, intentionality to talk to one another about what they need from each other. The impact, create a sense of connection, belonging, you hear me, etc. Now, these are just examples. Well-being, talked about that a little bit. How could we make well-being an expected work practice? Right? This organization having a morning huddle, right? Morning huddle. So, they already have the huddle. So, they nuance the huddle. Right? So, what did they do? They create space in the huddle to share gratitude. So they made gratitude an expected work practice. So they take the morning huddle and they nuance it. And that as a tribe, they went around and started expressing what they're grateful for, whether it be each other, the organization, the team, etc. The impact, people felt better and more connected. Now these are just examples. Now it's your turn. I'd like you to think, what would, what, what would be your intentionality at work? What would you like to solve? What would be the ritual and what would be the impact? And I'll have you share it and I'll have Ben tease out a couple examples here in, in the chat window. Well, let's see our first one, ability to resolve interpersonal conflict, weekly wins. I like that. Are those tied to each other? Or those, are those... No, those are two separate. Okay. Uh, so um, weekly wins, connecting whenever um, meet with check-ins. Uh, show tunes Tuesdays. <laughs> Love that. Um, that's a uh, um, intention, foster an environment for sharing ideas openly and honestly. Uh, well-being, intention, more work. These are starting to come in really fast. What, um, that's it. Intention, well-being. Uh, there we go. Tension. Well, more work-life balance. Ritual. No emails after 5 p.m. every day. Impact. More time for people to disconnect after work. Dress for your day. All days of all days of the week. Business casual. Dress for days you don't even don't have an in-person meeting with leadership or external partners. Uh, we set aside Thursday mornings as meeting-free innovation time. It's hard to maintain, but I'm a strong advocate. Things like this event count as innovation and not as a meeting. Uh, networking, adding food to them, adding food to team meetings. Um, help a friend Friday, taking something off your colleagues' hands on Fridays. Word of the day, 15-minute meditation Mondays, foster well-being. 
Uh, we've decided to incorporate mindfulness and peer coaching activities as part of our leadership team meetings. Uh, reduce stress, yoga Fridays, motivation Monday for starting the week, something to kickstart the week on a positive note. <clears throat> Intention, open communication, ritual, no defensive Thursdays, let others talk without interrupting impact. Uh, let others talk without interrupting impact. Give employees a non-judgmental place to speak their minds. Regular team participation in wellness events. Intention, work-life balance. Ritual, no meeting zone. Impact, more time to actually do work slash projects. <clears throat> uh, then we have from Amy, we have intention to make employees feel valued. Ritual, spotlight on employee of the week, impact creates more purpose in work. Uh, we also have meditation, reflection time before all time, before all the team meetings. PTO days, uh, turn off notifications on mobile device. So no, mo so no notifications while you're taking PTO. Uh, wellness, provide opportunities and time for volunteering doing work. Uh, intention, bringing middle management into the D&I discussions. Many times it is, a, it is at senior level and the, the individual contributor. Offsite team time, uh, i.e. movies, breaking bread. Uh, innovation, encourage sharing wins and learnings from fails. Do, do so at weekly meetings as norm versus exception. Accept as practice lesson, fear of trying slash celebrate li little successes. Be wow. well moments. I think that sums it up pretty well. Be well moments. <laughs> and, they're, and they're still coming in. All right, so I think you get it. So, so the challenge that we have in, in, this, in this context, especially around culture, is that many of these things that we do or work are routines. We get it. We have meetings. We have WebExes. We have all this stuff. If you're honest with yourself, many of these routines haven't changed in the last 50 to 100 years. They're just some big thing that we've inherited from the industrial age. For example, when I was in corporate America, why does every meeting have to be 60 minutes? There's no research that shows that 60 minutes is the optimal time. But have you noticed that every Outlook invite meeting you get is 60 minutes? I started making my meetings 45 minutes. Why? That gave us 15 minutes to embed some positive emotions into the meeting. Whatever that may be, it could be the opportunity to connect, talk, innovate, whatever. Your challenge going forward to truly embed and then create a highly engaged culture where people feel included, it can't be just the fun, the party stuff. Because again, some of us don't get lit up that way. When I was 23, I wanted to go to happy hour and be on the bowling team and I wanted to run around and do all that stuff. That was great, but I'm not 22 and now I have an hour and a half commute. If we want to make an inclusive culture that makes people feel engaged and it's tied to performance, then we have to nuance the things that people do every single day at work. So I feel like it's authentic. So for example, on my one-on-one -on -one meetings, why do they always have to be in the same meeting room at the same time? Why couldn't it be a walking meeting? Why can't we get outside the building, right? These are just nuances. I think you can get some early wins in your culture makeover if you just take the existing routines that you have, get some intentionality behind them, and just nuance them for a second, right? And, and figure out how you could embed some more positive emotions into those routines 
they become ritualized and people will start to go, wow, that's important. Give you an example. I just did a meeting audit with a client in uh, Florida the other day. If you haven't done a meeting audit, I would highly encourage you. We got the whole team in the room and we did an audit of all the meetings that we currently have on our calendars. Everyone pulled them up. Most of those meetings have been on the calendar for years, standing meetings. And we had a very transparent discussion. Do we need this meeting? Or can it be shorter? Or can it be different? If you want people to engage and feel like they're part of the culture, you have, them, you have to give them a voice. And in this particular case, we were able to nuance these meetings by 30%. Do you know how good people felt walking out of a, a boardroom knowing that they just reduced the number of meetings by 30%? That's an early win, and it's a great way to productivity. So we're at the tail end of our discussion. I want to be respectful for time. Curious, any key ideas that you'll apply from today's webinar that you've heard? And if you wouldn't mind sharing them in the chat box, that'd be fantastic. And then I'll open up for questions. Maybe, Ben, you can tease out some of these. Any key ideas from today's webinar? Approach our new CEO about an idea I have. I truly enjoy the framework of, of the intention ritual impact to rethink how I work and the impact I have. Um, discuss potential rituals with director. Think about intention, ritual, and impact. Let's see. Th utilizing the frame, utilizing that framework. Go towards more walking meetings, like that. Uh, I love the intention slash or ritual slash impact exercise I plan to share with my team. I want to do a major meeting audit. This feels like a game changer, love it. <clears throat> Removing the words average and fit when, when talking about staff. Rethink the time out, out allotted for meetings, 45 minutes. Embedded ritual, embed rituals. Intent ritual and impact, having something tangible to put, to, to put into place. <clears throat> Does it? Uh, designation, distinction, addict. Um, Reevaluate our perks slash parties and find something that's actually more beneficial to our employees. I will add a gratitude portion to our team meetings, using the intention, ritual, and impact for employee resource group. Be happy sl uh, slash great work slash big success. That's a complete disruption that should be called out. Building gratitude into our culture conducting a meeting audit, love the idea of, of power of rituals, share framework of IRI um, with team and try it out, intention ritual impact, intention ritual impact, excellence. So intention ritual impact seems to be the key that takeaway that a lot of people are taking away from this. Um, we like inclusion is an ongoing practice, not training event. I like these ideas, no meeting Monday, but feel like they might be hard to sustain. Uh, address designation, I'm sorry, destination addiction with our, with our students. Org is, uh, org is a higher education institution. 
data in the beginning of the presentation was great. Will we get those slides afterwards? Uh, yes, if Devin is comfortable with sharing the slides, we will be posting it onto our website along with the recording of the of the webinar. Uh, All right, thank you. Go ahead, Ben. I was just going to say, finding more varieties and activities to suit all types of personalities. Yeah, so let me be full disclosure. I'm not anti-perks and parties. And those, those are okay. But if I walk in the halls and the conference rooms and people don't say hi or engage or I don't feel respect or authenticated or I don't feel like I belong, more often than not, I'm not going to hang out with you socially anyways. So the fundamental thing is we have to create an authentic culture where people feel like they belong. If we do that right, then I'm more likely to participate in those other activities. So I, I think this conversation continues to do a makeover. And I think the important thing here is you can get some early wins to create an inclusive culture that don't require budget. I don't need budget. I can take the existing infrastructure of what you do every day. If you're doing it every day, every week, every month, I'm going to presume that it's already important. We're just going to nuance it, give it a little bit of a makeover and then put some inclusive practices into it, ritualize it so people feel a little bit different. So enough preaching about me. Any questions at all that I could answer that you may want to put in the chat window for Ben? What do you find is the uh, greatest resistance? Yeah, I, the, I think the beating resistance, the biggest resistance is you have to frame it correctly. Right? We have to tie it to something. For example, if I've worked for you, Dave, for or work with you for 17 years, wherever, and all of a sudden you come in on a magical Thursday and go, hey, next week we're not going to have, we're going to have no meaning Mondays, it's going to seem out of context, right? So what you have to do is you contextualize it. And what I mean by that is you have to tie it to something. In other words, I, how about performance? Guys, what I find going forward is, Meeting tends to be a, a day, a Monday tend to be a day that we have so many meetings. And when I find myself is that on these, on these days that I have so many meetings, I'm not as productive. I want to think of some ways we can create, create a workaround, right, to actually create more productivity so people can actually get real work done. I thought of an idea of eliminating meetings on Mondays. I wanted to see what you thought. Could we do it? Are there a way we could still get the work done and not have meetings on Mondays? And it's an active discussion and you get people kind of leaning forward to engage in the conversation because then they get to see that they have the opportunity to kind of nuance their work streams. You'll be shocked at the conversations that start to transpire. You're not cooking the meal, Dave, in this case, you're just setting the table, so to speak, and the tribe's kind of weighing in here on a lot of this stuff. Now, everything's not going to work, but that's how you would set the table. Great. Um, are there any books you uh, recommend as it relates to your conversation? Wow, there's a variety of different resources, books. A lot of the things that I reference here are anecdotal things that I've actually seen work real world in a work situation. Um, uh, there was a good book recently, and I can't think of the title. Well, it was something to the effect of sacred cows make the best burgers, which and I may be butchering the title, um, but it talks to a lot of this stuff. And a lot of these work routines are just sacred cows. They're just things that we've been doing over and over and over. Give you one more example. And I don't know if this helps. I was with a client the other day, and they do a lot of WebExes, GoToMeetings. Uh, no surprise, the engagement on WebExes and, and, and GoToMeetings is, is horrific. 
All right, so uh, we got a little funny. So they did a, a David Letterman top 10 list of what people say on a WebEx or go to meeting or webinar when they're not paying attention. I think we could all weigh in there on some of the things. Like the number one was, oh, I'm sorry, I was on mute. And they went on and on and on. So they started to nuance. They do a lot of these because they have a lot of remote workers. So they started nuancing the webinars to make them more engaging, sending out pre-work, signing homework, getting other voices to speak so they could increase engagement. IT ran an algorithm in the background with this client and noticed that on average, on the average go-to meeting or webinar, there were six other URLs open during the, during the go-to meeting, Facebook, ESPN, CNN. And they used that as a an opportunity to engage the group to say, hey, I, we realize these are not that exciting, but we have to do them, or do we? And if we do do them, what can we do to make them more engaging? And that's, again, it's just another example of communication. It's a modality, but how could we nuance the work routine to make it feel a little bit better so we get more productive out of it so I'm not having to multitask and look on Facebook? So either way, anybody else? I was going to say, I think the next two questions are kind of similar to what you just answered, but how do you get longevity with the, with the, with the change and prevent slipping back to old habits? Um, and then the next one is, do you have any tips on getting buy-in on transition from intention to ritual? So it, it's all, there's always a tendency to fall back, right? So it's just like anything else, you have to be intentional in a way to keep reminding yourself. You can't do it by yourself. If it's just you in the front of can the canoe, you're going to get exhausted. One of the reasons why leaders get exhausted in trying to change culture because they're doing all the rowing. I would argue that you need to look for other positive outliers on your team. Who are some folks right now that you think would get some early success? In my era, we had this, this urban legend of E.F. Hutton Right? Who are the EF Huttons in your world who are very influential, may not be managers, that we could use them to extrapolate, to, to contextualize why? Because when you introduce anything new, what happens when you walk out of the meeting room, invariably everyone kind of coagulates around the water cooler and they say, hey, what do you think about that? My point being there is who else do you have that's very influential on a team, they could use, you could start to see this so they could start to evangelize the message for you as well. So it's not just about you, it's about us. Uh, do, you, uh, do you have any tips slash, or any tips, ideas, suggestions for a very, for a very different team, multi, multilingual, multi-diverse, that are integrating into one big one, a hundred plus people and are logistically dispersed? Yeah, so that's always a challenge, right? When you've got culture, language, and remote. Again, if there's, whatever, what is the objective here? I would imagine if you're trying to coalesce a tighter team, whether it be communication or collaboration, you have to find some opportunities, all right? Again, to get people to engage, which is not normally, because again, we come to work very scripted. And culturally, some people don't find joy at work and even expected work practice. My point being there is that, again, you have to raise the issue, but you also have to frame it in a way to tell people why it matters. The, the easy one that most people will lean forward on is performance. If you can tie it to individual or team or organizational performance, most people will at least listen. 
So again, I'm doing this because this is why this matters. And you look for ideas. You essentially become the straw. Now, I'll give you an example. One more example, and I don't know if these help or not. I had a team that was remote, m multiple people, but they had a few people inside the building. And they would have lunch come in, which was great on these webinars. But guess what? The only people that were eating the lunch were the people in the room. The other 10 people who were remote all over the country literally sat around and listened to everyone else eat. Not very fun. So the boss thought, you know what? How do I make it included? So what he did with my help, he ordered pizza to be delivered to their home. So at least while they were having lunch inside the corporate headquarters, the folks outside the building in a remote location had pizza delivered to their house. And then they were taking photos and selfies and a bunch of other stuff having lunch too. Is it like being in the room? No, but it's the intentionality that you can find creative ways to make people feel included when they're off and not, even if it's as benign as, as a, something like a pizza. Great. Um, and then, so it looks like uh, someone, I think, left the title. We've got, um, uh, it's called the Contended Cow. Contended Cows Give Better Milk. I think that's the name of the title of the book that you were looking for, um, or that's their suggestion. And let's see. Our staff is a bit cynical and would not accept me uh, meditation or yoga. How to overcome resistance to rituals. We have a ethos of rejecting all new ideas and making fun of new ideas. That's unfortunate. How to get beyond that is hard. Any ideas? So again, meditation and yoga is hard for everybody. If again, that's not your context. We get mindfulness, but again, how do you actually embed it? Because again, that seems very awkward. No. I, I, I would start with some early wins. Maybe a walking meeting, maybe a lunch, you know, twice a month on a Friday where you just start to have these connections and make it more organic. Change the context on a meeting. Maybe it doesn't have to be in the same meeting room. Little nuances that you could do just to get some early success. Make the meeting maybe a little bit shorter. Is there an idea that someone has that doesn't require budget that you could implement? I would take the low hanging fruit in this case to get some early successes before you try to boil the ocean, so to speak, with yoga and all that other stuff, if the context is not there, because it can, it can seem very, very foreign to people. And I may struggle how that ties to what, why would I do this? Well, it doesn't look like we have any other questions. Um, just a couple excellent webinars. So thank you for attending. So I just want to go ahead and thank you, Devin, and everyone who participated in today's webinar. A special thank you to our, web, our sponsor, uh, Aon. As promised, the SHRM activity ID, a session ID is 1919-SM4KY, and that's in the uh, 4KY, and that's in the chat. And then the HRCI is 379230, also in the chat. Oh, I just, <laughs> I'm sorry, I broke my own rule and I sent it to just all panelists instead of all panelists and attendees. Again, the SHRM ID is 19-SM4KY and the HRCI ID is 379230. And again, the, these are both in the chat. And <clears throat> Please, uh, please join us for our uh, next forum, web, um, Workplace Inclusion Webinar, Stand Up, Speak Out, Empowering CEO and Corporate Activism with presenter Loana Harris of Sanofi.
on Thursday, February 21st, also at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, for more information on upcoming webinars, all our upcoming events, DEI resources, and contest, visit us at formonworkplaceinclusion.org or visit our LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search Form on Workplace Inclusion. Again, I would like to thank you, Devin, for this wonderful webinar, and I would like to thank you all for attending. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. Don't forget to register today for the 31st annual Forum on Workplace Inclusion called Bridging the Gap. Register by March 1st to take advantage of early bird rates with discounts up to $140 off available for individual conference packages and up to $190 off our group rates. More information and to register at forumworkplaceinclusion.org. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates on the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback.